This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Uh, Another person that said enough is enough over the weekend at some of the things she saw, not just in the city of Toronto, but across our country. And she's happy to uh, weigh in with us this morning. We're happy to have her, is the MPP for Nepean and a former cabinet minister as well in the Ford government. She is Lisa McLeod. Lisa, it's a pleasure to have you on Toronto Today. Thanks for making the time for our audience. Well, thanks for having me, Greg. I really appreciate your outspokenness on this as well. So it's it's great to be here. Yeah, where are we here? Again, I everything, every kind of political issue has nuance and balance, and and things aren't aren't you know zero one binary non binary. There, there there's some there's some conversation to have about this. When I play that clip, or when you see clips like the skating party Olivia Chow had to flee from, wh- where do you think we're headed, and where do you think we're at right now? Well, we're in a very dangerous place globally, and the, the unfortunate thing is it's, it's, it's trickled its way down um, to Canada and, and other parts of the world. And the, re- the, the reality is, with the clip that you just played, um, and without law enforcement or political leaders standing up and saying enough is enough, uh, we are actually seeing, or we're going to see more of, people taking matters into their own hands, which could be extremely dangerous um, because we don't know what the outcome will be. Uh, and that's why I think we really have to be vocal. Um, I, I don't think we can view this uh, issue as black and white, but we can view it as right and wrong. And what we're seeing right now um, in my city of Ottawa, in your city of Toronto, is blatant intimidation and harassment in Jewish communities, at Jewish shopping centres, and, and, and um, as we saw with the arson attack, uh, and, and we're seeing it at their Jewish day schools. And so I think um, there needs to be... A, a conversation amongst our political leaders at the very top to really set the agenda and say, you know, these are Canadian values. Um, yes, you're allowed to protest. I've had protesters um, my entire mm-hmm. career, but there's places to do that. It's not at uh, you know in a neighborhood where children are. Uh, it is at Parliament Hill. It is at Queens Park. It is our respective city halls. Um, there are venues for that. There are processes in order to make those uh, protests legal and viable. Mm. Um, and then there's ways to treat your friends. It's a con- and, and people can go in Toronto, in, in our city, Lisa, to the Consulate General of Israel. I'll give people the address. It's 2 Blur Street East. Um, you can go there this morning and you can protest your face off. But that's a different scenario than a Jewish neighborhood, a Jewish business. You got 20-year-old kids in there working part-time trying to get through college. And people are screaming at them through bullhorns and banging sticks on, on, on glass windows. It's ridiculous. Yeah, like I have a 19-year-old daughter and, um, you know, we went through the convoy. Her friends were getting yelled at at the, the subway shop. So, you know, this has been done before and you just, it's its really not the, uh, the, the polite Canada that we grew up in. And so we have to remind people of what our values are sometimes. And, you know, again, uh, you know, I sympathize with anybody that, uh, you know, it feels aggrieved. In fact, you know, after after 9-11, I helped a mosque get built in my community um, because the people were afraid. And, and I stepped up and I thought, you know what, these aren't bad people. They're good people. They want to contribute to our community. And you know, the Jewish community in Ottawa, and I know in Toronto as well, has contributed to um, the fabric of, of our city. So the reality is they have nothing to do with what's happening a world away. And, and if you want to protest it, you're right. There's the, the um, Israeli 
embassy. I myself have been in front of the Russian embassy uh, opposing what's happening in Ukraine. Yeah. Uh, that's the appropriate place for these, these things to happen. And we're very lucky both in Toronto and Ottawa to not only have embassies, but also the consulate general's um, residences. So- I, I think you got it right. Like, we're not going to Russian businesses and, uh, and, and banging sticks and making noise. And we're not going to uh, Iranian businesses or Chinese businesses. Maybe there's a reason those people don't want to live in those countries anymore and they want to live in ours. Maybe so. And- yeah, the interesting thing is my former colleague in the legislature, Mike Cole, who's now deputy mayor of Toronto, he and I had a conversation yesterday, and we both agreed, like, after you know 20 years in politics, like, we've never quite seen this bold and brazen act where we're trying to threaten people in their own homes where they should be, feel safe, in their own neighborhoods where their kids should be able to, to right now, go out and, uh, you know, skate in, in their local neighborhood or in the summer play in their in their playgrounds. And, and mm. this is... This this is new to us. And I and I again, I go back to that clip in New York. You know, that could be anywhere in Canada, anywhere in North America. And the question is, do we really want vigilantism um, no. responding to these types of illegal protests? Uh, that's the uh, question. I know a politician. I got one time for one more, but a, a politician can't direct the police. And Doug Ford, your colleague, has mentioned that before as well. And Justin Trudeau's mentioned that that's not their job is to direct police. But in your mind, even a even a bylaw infraction, even a mischief charge, some have pointed out, well, then that person has a criminal record the rest of their life. I don't want a criminal record. I don't want a mischief charge, but I beg you they don't either. Just the threat of that alone, because those tickets clearly, Lisa, aren't being given out to people who are breaking the law. Yeah, I, look, and that that is troubling. And I think we all saw the police officer giving the you know the coffee to the protester, and then the Uber eats to the protester. And you know, I spoke with Ottawa cops here, and they they are they are acting in Ottawa, um, and they are handing out these you know these issues, uh, these, these tickets. And we've had one on the weekend um, where where the vandalism and and uh, the hate that was being spread has resulted in a in, in an arrest. Uh, the same thing with the terror plot that was unveiled here in the city of Ottawa. Um, you know, but there's some other things. That can be done. We yeah. can, we can, we don't have to direct the police, but we can remind police boards what their duties are. Um, we, we can actually throw more dollars at enforcement um, in Toronto and Ottawa. We can ask the OPP to back up our local law enforcement. So, you know, these are all conversations that have to be had. You don't direct the police. Of course you don't direct yeah. the police. But you find ways in order to allow them to do their jobs. And, and, and tone and, and, and timing is everything um, in, in, in policing. It is in politics. Um, and it certainly is when we're in the middle of a crisis. Hey, Lisa, thanks so much for the time this morning. Uh, and please come back and talk more about this. And, uh, and we'll, keep, uh, we'll keep the fires brewing to, to try and calm things down. We, we need safer streets, safer cities. And, and, uh, and, and this kind of scenario benefits everybody in the long run. Thanks for the time today. Thanks, Greg. Take care. Lisa McLeod, MPP for Nepean. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. A rather dramatic story. I think those of us who are parents can all remember not just the birth of our baby, but those trepidatious moments when our baby is sick and we've had to rush them to the emergency room. Well, the weight is worse than ever. Um, the conditions are more frayed than ever. And we wanted to bring on somebody who experienced this. Uh, Joey Salmingo took his newborn to an Ontario ER in December. Um, and it took five hours to be seen by a doctor, eight hours to be admitted to the hospital. And Joey joins us now on Toronto Today. First of all, it's great to have you on and thanks for making the time for us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Greg. Appreciate that. Is this your first child? Uh, no, this is our second child. I have a two and a half year old at home as well. 
Wow, yeah. And and have you noticed the difference? I'd I'd say that. I did I did notice the difference even. I got a 17-year-old and a 15-year-old and I noticed that I didn't quite get um the urgent service when I needed it with my second to my first. So this has been a sliding scale in terms of response time at ERs and especially with with uh, with an infant which you had. Man, in the, you know, in the last few years I have noticed a significant significant decline in the way that we wait in our in our ERs. You know, I, I was there a month ago with a swollen knee and I was there for nine hours. Mm-hmm. And that is the only reason I decided to start my timer when I got to the ER uh, on December 30th, because I wanted to see how long it would take with my newborn. And, you know, it was the same amount of time, which is outrageous to me. So paint the picture for us. Why uh, you took uh, you took him there on December 30th uh, for your yeah. second child, your son. What was he experiencing and, and what were the circumstances surrounding it? Well, I, w- I was just feeding him, holding him as normal. And I did notice that, uh, you know, having hit the back of his neck on my arm, it was quite warm. So I thought, you know what, I'm, this doesn't seem normal. Let me take his temperature. It was at 38. So with newborns, uh, actually, I should preface this. When that happened, I decided to call telehealth because I wanted to avoid going into the ER. But they advised me, it's like, you know what, it's a newborn. We have to go to the ER because that's just, that's just what we do with newborns. So I said, you know what, that makes total sense. So, you know, I held my breath and I went to ER and it took me an hour just to triage. So, you know, it, I felt like I was at a meat counter. You know, you take a number, you wait for your number to be called. And, uh, you know, in that hour, I, I was pacing back and forth. The ER room was full. What time of day um, uh, was it? So this was, Oh man, this was maybe around 10:30 at night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you know we were there for an hour just to triage. Finally got into triage, and uh, she she checked us right away. She she double checked his temperature uh, and all that, making sure that you know he did actually have a fever and he he was okay. Um, and she said, okay, well you know wait outside in the waiting room and we'll let you know when we can get you a room. And that was two and a half hours later getting a room. And then once we got the room, it was another two and a half hours before a doctor came to see us. So this entire time, you know, moving from room to room, but not seeing anyone, obviously the anger setting in, the the Mm. frustration setting in, we didn't bring formula because we didn't expect to be there for that long. So, you know, like we're, we're stressing out. I had to call my, my, my mom to say, Hey, you know what, can you go to the house, get us some formula, drop it off? Because you know, we're we're there with a newborn. We don't know what's going on. No one's coming to talk to us. They're just moving us from room to room. At the end of it all, after eight hours and 15 minutes, they finally admitted us. Um, he did uh, pick up a viral infection, unfortunately. He's okay now. Mm-hmm. But they, you know, they were there over New Year's. They, they, they went home on the 3rd of January. And, um, yeah, it was just, it was an entire ordeal that was just completely, I'm flabbergasted at how long we had to wait with a two and a half week old. I sat with a um, with a federal politician about a year ago and we came up, Joey, just with the idea that, you know how like we've somehow figured it out in the restaurant industry where they give you that little flashing disc. Right. You're waiting for a table and the, and you, the hostess or the host gives you a disc and you could go anywhere you wanted. You can go to the bar. You can go to your car. You can make right. some phone calls. Like, imagine, that's for a meal out, a nice evening out. We're talking about life and death sometimes in the emergency room or sickness or health, and we can't even advance to give out little discs to say, go home and then even come back. The fact you got to sit there 
in a lot less comfortable scenario, surrounded by sick people, shall we mention, for eight, nine hours, as opposed to, hey, yeah, we can see you in two hours or when your thing buzzes or we'll text you even. We got a long way to go on this, don't we? No kidding. So like, when you think about those scenarios, do you look and go, what fixes it? Like if, if we all can get frustrated, we all can get angry, we all can, you know, uh, scream into our pillow. But what do you see in, in the in the entire healthcare industry that'll make it better as your kids get older? <laughs> you know what? I, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll preface this by saying my mom's in, my mom is a retired nurse. She's been in she's the seen it all then. Wow. For 40 years. And I grew up in, uh, you know, in uh, sort of grew up in the system, right? Because I was familiar with it when my entire life. And again, seeing seeing this decline is, you know, especially over the last three years and how our medical system has been impacted by the pandemic, et cetera. I'm I'm almost ready to say, Greg, yeah. that I'm <laughs> that I would be willing to pay for privatized healthcare because I think, uh, you know, I heard a couple of years ago that one of our politicians was suggesting that we privatize healthcare. And at the time I was totally against it. I said, that's absolutely ridiculous. But at this point, I'm almost willing to fork out money if it if it means I'm going to get the proper health care I need in a timely manner. Well, wouldn't you think that a lot of the politicians um, who profess a, a great love for the system we have right now? And I think there are benefits to it. Believe me, I don't want anyone falling through the cracks. I lived in the States Absolutely. and that happens down there. But um, don't you do you think Jugmeet Singh would wait nine hours in, in an emergency room? I, I bet you he wouldn't. Um, like, like I'm seriously, there would be a ton of politicians that do things on a private level or would okay. be able to have somebody come to their house. Well, I said almost ready. I didn't say <laughs> <that> ready, right? <laughs> well, well, let's have more conversations about it. I think you're an important voice. I'm glad you spoke up on this as well. I'm sure you were, you know, should I tell my story to the media? Should I do? No, no, I'm glad you are. Needs to be told because I'm not the, mm. it's unfortunate to say that this is commonplace. You know, I told yeah. my story, I posted it on my, my Facebook and my Instagram, and I had friends and even random people saying, oh, my gosh, I waited six hours. I waited 10 hours. I waited 12 hours. This is not just a unique story to me. This is happening across the province and in some cases across the country. And imagine who doesn't go when they should. And it could be for a six month old. It could be for a 76 year old. And they say, I don't want to sit there eight hours, but they really should be seen. I got a blast. I'm up against the clock, but I appreciate you coming on, telling your story this morning, Joey. And uh, it's great being a dad. I'm glad you shared that with us as well. Good luck. Thank you, Greg. Appreciate that. Joey Salmingo joining us. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. All right. So City Council meets this week. The budget is a massive, massive issue. But a few other issues are, including automated speeding tickets and whether or not people can defend themselves in front of either a court or an adjudicator, uh, especially with photo radar. Um, Olivia Chow made a pretty plain over the weekend. She said, Hey, speeding, speeding when you get caught with one of these cameras, but it won't be so simple if the insurance companies ever end up getting involved. April Engelberg is a Toronto lawyer uh, who ran for city council last time out, and she joins us now. We always like talking to her about our city issues. First appearance uh, of the year for you and me. So happy new year. Thanks for being on. Happy New Year. Thanks, Greg. Happy to chat. Yeah, we'll get to this uh, property tax issue, some of the budget consultation from late last year as well. But I mentioned these uh, speeding tickets. Uh, They want to streamline ticketing, make them a little make it a little smoother. Um, And the concept is an administrative penalty system. April, what is that? Exactly. So right now, the way it is, is we have these automated red light cameras, these automated speeding uh, detectors around the city, and they're doing really well. 
we're making like something close to $50 million a year from these uh, automated systems. But the issue is you, if you want to have, if you want to take issue with it, you have to see a justice of the peace. Um, so it's kind of preventing the program from growing because we need to, you know, have a procedural fairness for people to appeal their tickets and whatnot. So this way it'll be a lot faster where you can have some somebody other than uh, a justice of the peace you can see to appeal your ticket. And so this way we can expand the program both for red light tickets and for speeding tickets around the city. Yeah, the concept is push net revenues to more than $70 million by 2026. So obviously net revenue different than gross revenue in that uh, the cost of all the technology, the processing of the tickets, mailing them out and all that does cost something at the end of the day. Is there that Stephen Holiday makes this case in the Ben Spur article, the Ward 2 Etobicoke Center counselor, mm-hmm. who's usually um, attempting to be, you know, save people money and be rather frugal and sometimes is considered a not in my backyard type guy. But he does make the point, April, that um, there might be a balance. You can't you can't go down every street um, in your suburb and have a speed camera um, like in front of schools or high traffic areas where there's kids playing. I think he gets that. Yeah. And I think we all do. Um, is there that worry that the city will put too many in? Yeah. So I, I don't think so. I in general don't agree with Councillor Holiday, And mm-hmm. I think what he said was there's already three in his ward and that doesn't seem like that much to me. And the thing is the tickets are reasonable. Like you get $5 for every kilometer you're going above the limit. So it's not crazy. You know, like like if you're going five over, you're going to get a $25 ticket. It's not that. Like in theory, I don't even know that they would necessarily enforce that. But um, so I I think the more cameras, the better. Um, There's there's pedestrian there's pedestrian deaths in the city, so it's a great way to stop it. And it's yeah, it, it what has been proven over time is people are driving slower. Uh, they not only take the the data from the tickets as well, but they're watching every single car go by and comparing it to you know with camera without camera, April. And clearly, it ends up making a difference in terms of how people, you know, w- once you get a ticket, it it does correct your behavior. Definitely. Uh, let's talk Definitely. about these. And, and it makes oh, go ahead. Safer. Yeah, let's talk. And I said, and it definitely makes school zones safer. One hundred percent. Let's talk about these road closures. Um, one of the big criticisms that I've heard about this administration, and it wasn't there necessarily with John Tory. And I asked even uh, former Mayor David Miller about this. Is mayors were sitting in on meetings once a week? There was, in essence, a meeting about where there were going to be construction projects and road closures. And there's people that that want this particular mayor to be more involved with her team and say, well, if we have this closure going on, we can't have this. We can't have closure A and closure B going on at the same time because it's going to create a ton more bottlenecks and we already have plenty of them. What comes to city council this week on the agenda that could help help in terms of the road closures? Definitely. So to a committee meeting this week, Councillor Chow, along with Deputy Mayor McAlby, I believe they're putting forth a construction management plan. So it's it's kind of broad and, and I'm definitely in support of it. So different things like in a construction zone, trying to find a right of way. So trying to not make something completely blocked, uh, potentially raising the fee if you're a construction company and you're taking over lanes of traffic and whatnot, um, actually enforcing uh faulty closures of lanes. So for example, there, I live downtown, right? So there's so much construction around me, mm-hmm. but a lot of the time these projects will close a lane without a permit or their permit has run out and they're closing a lane or they're only allowed to take up this much of the road, but they're taking up 
the whole road. So it just to have it actually mean something with our bylaws in terms of construction management, we, it's just not sustainable the way that we let construction projects take over sidewalks and lanes of traffic. There's years. always been and there's always been counselors that want a traffic czar um, and just somebody yes. that might be front facing that can get out in front of either the media or even city council every week, April, and say, hi, I'm the, I'm the traffic czar. Here's what's going on this week. We really don't have that. All of a sudden, it becomes a news story yeah. when University Avenue is closed or King Street West is closed. We don't get a lot of information and, and advance warning about these or even, even debate or consultation about it. Definitely. Same goes for subway closures and whatnot. So I, I agree with that. It, it should be really easy to find out what roads are closed and what subway stations are closed or closing early or whatnot, or routes are changing. And there's just so much happening that you just kind of like get on the streetcar and find out if it'll take you home. Like you don't know what's going on. I got, um, so uh, I agree. And I, like, I think we need to, uh, we need to be more strict with the construction in the city, especially I will make a different, like if it's something for the public good, like if it's we're building the Ontario line, I'm not going to complain that, you know, they're taking over a, a lane or something. I'm okay with that. It's for the public good. But it's one is a private project that's not for the not in the public interest necessarily. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm still pro building condos, but I don't I don't mm. believe they should be allowed to take over a sidewalk and uh, the road for years. They just should just use a smaller area space. I gotcha. Hey, up against the clock. Uh, let's leave. Uh, let's leave the noise uh, bylaws uh, for next Monday or next Tuesday because I know they'll still be a hot topic by then. Yeah, Thanks for the definitely. time this morning. Thanks, Greg. April Engelberg joining us. Uh, she is a lawyer. She was a uh, council candidate. Of course, had some great ideas, including that pedestrian cycling bridge all the way to Toronto Island. I don't think there's money for that in the 2024 Toronto budget. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Uh, I want to get to Sonny. He's been waiting on hold and patient. Wanted to weigh in on that previous conversation about the New York driver. Got out of his car, shoved some protesters out of the way, had to get to his daughter in Brooklyn. We've all had urgent circumstances. Sonny, thanks very much for uh, for calling in and, and taking the time. Go right ahead. Uh, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Uh, yeah, well, in, not only in particular that, because the talk is all about the protesters. Now, I have listened to this conversation, and also I wish to take umbrage with the statement that you just made in the prior sec, uh, 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 earlier. What's that? Which statement? Just to remind yeah. me, I'm not being you, sure with you. I just, you're not which sure one? if a genocide is being committed. Okay, well, I, I, don't, I don't think it matches the UN General Assembly definition, and you do. So we will disagree so, on that. So, no, no, we, we can disagree on it, but we can also speak the truth. Because the Genocide Convention, the two things that is very clear in the Genocide Convention. The Geneva Convention? No, the genocide. Okay. Genocide. Okay. The, the Genocide Convention, two of the things that is very, uh, I would say, obvious, the salvation of people is a crime. The oppressing of people and, and moving them around is also a crime. And the uh, deprivation of health services is also a crime. So we can't say we don't know about these things. We can pretend that we are ignorant about it. And if you, the comparison that is made in terms of the de demonstrations, you see, there's something we have to realize here that everyone knows. We just don't want to say it. 
that protesters have only one method of protesting. And that is to stand in the street. No, that's not. That's that's not. Now now we're talking. If we want to talk truth, why is that the only way? Why aren't they outside the Israeli uh, consulate today? Why are, why are they in, in, in why are they in Jewish neighborhoods where Jews live as opposed to outside the Israeli consulate where no, actual it, it, impact on the government policy might be actually better utilized? No, you, you see. What's no, my? But I, I asked. Just answer my question. Yeah, because that is. Passe at the moment, uh, uh, now. Passe? Who decides that it's passe? The same decision, now I'm, you want to get into this argument, is the media. How many uh, Muslim people have you interviewed in terms of what is happening in Gaza? Oh, you're not, you, not on this show. You're not going to, that's the, that's a card. No. You don't, I you can, don't want to fact, you, you don't want to add up and keep score on that. No, no, it's not keeping score. It is. It is. No, if you want to be open about it, I can tell you I have been prohibited of speaking on your uh, on certain shows <laughs> in your in, in, uh, on your station. Well, here you are talking to me now, so no, why don't we focus on that? I appreciate on that, but you see, the power of the media and uh, is of such a nature that the, the Palestinian, uh, I would say, crime against the Palestinians is. I would say basically non-existent. I haven't heard anybody say, oh, there's Palestinian children that is now fatherless and motherless and have no place to stay. But uh, there's there's no empathy shown to the Palestinians. You missed the whole segment. You might have been busy, Sonny, but you missed the whole segment between 730 and 8 o'clock. The whole. No, that's a bit too early sometimes. Okay, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. But we had somebody saying they believe a genocide's being committed against the people of Gaza by the Israeli Defense Forces, and we had someone suggesting that it isn't. And that's the balance yeah, that I'm trying to provide here. We will see on Thursday and Friday when that case is heard in front of the International Court of Justice. Uh, then we will see what the reporting is on it. Then we will see what the situation is. And I can guarantee you that the reporting on the news in the West is not going to be that what the court finds. You think, so I, I want to get this straight, you think the media in North America, you think the media in North America has been unfairly pro-Israel and has been against the Palestinian cause? Absolutely. You think, okay, okay. Okay, so again, we got another point of disconnect there because I would make it depends on it depends on the network, it depends on the person. Everybody's going to come in. No, 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 no. It, uh, that is right. It's going to come. It's going to come from different perspectives. We don't all work in a building that's labeled media with a big sign, flashing sign outside. No, uh, uh, just a simple thing. People called October the seventh. The media called October the seventh the worst acts of violence in the Israeli history. How many news media has, except for Al Jazeera or any uh, uh, Arab uh, news uh, outlet, has called within three months the slaughter of women and children of 20 odd thousand of them a catastrophe? How many news media? I, I guarantee you, and I will bet I you. I wouldn't. On that. I do. You don't want to make that bet because I would 
guarantee you that many people find both quite distasteful and many people are horrified by some of the scenes they've seen in Gaza. And they're equally horrified that the Hamas led terrorists brutally murdered 1400 people, including women and children, and videotaped it and broadcast it to the masses. It was unimaginable cruelty. You see, I will give you this. Uh, You called the Hamas terrorists. And if I called the Israeli IDF terrorists, you say I'm anti-Semitic. But you forget. No, I wouldn't. I'd say I, I you, no. So I, let me surprise you once again. I would not say that. I'd say that's your opinion. And I would adamantly disagree with it. But I'm not going to call you names. I'm no, not no, I'm no. not going to suggest you've got some inherent bias about about the topic. We just don't, we're no, not going we to we're going to we're not going to find agreement on on 20 issues out of 20, maybe 10. No, no, I just I, 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 I agree with you. We won't find agreement on everything. But on the obvious things, Greg, we will find agreement. If we are just honest about it. Well, the world, to be honest, I got to go soon, but I I appreciate the conversation. The world community is asking Israel to play by one set of rules, and they know that Hamas won't play by any rules of the world community. No, 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 no. Come on, come on, come on. We got to, you want honesty, and you don't want to be honest with me, Sonny. I'm trying to meet you in the middle here. No, there's no, uh, when you say to me that the world wants, uh, the, Israel is playing by one rule and, and Hamas is not playing by the other rule. I ask you a simple question. The propaganda of tunnels. Who built those tunnels? Hamas? They extended the tunnels, but Israel built the tunnels, according to Edward Barak. Including to Al Jazeera? According to Edward, huh. Edward, Edward Barak, former prime minister, of Israel. Have Hamas been hiding hiding out uh, in hospitals and daycare centers and schools, or is that propaganda? That's propaganda too. Oh, okay. Well, this is good. Because, I, I, gee, I thought it was one thing for 120 days, and you've set me straight. No, because we, we don't want to report on it. This is the point. Yeah, we do. I'm we will, listen. Make. Listen, I go to every. I, I gotta go, but I thank you for the phone call. I'm, I, hey, you're welcome to call anytime. You get an opinion. You're a human being, and you get an opinion. I don't want to shut anybody out of having a perspective on this show. When it, if it were to delve into hate speech, and you didn't do that, you were far from that. So I got no problem having a conversation with you. Again, we're not gonna fully agree on everything. I grew up in a house that was harshly critical of Israel constantly. They understood the motivations of why the PLO had to exist. Don't like their tactics. Don't like blowing up innocent people. I don't like when any innocent person gets killed. That's where I draw my lines. But I appreciate the conversation. 